Well, good morning, church. Happy New Year to everyone. Probably more than uh, any year in recent memory, uh, we are all hoping for a little happier 2021 than most of us have, have experienced in in 2020. But regardless, we, we trust God for these things. And uh, we are going to start a new series today, just a, a short series for the month of January uh, that I've entitled Reset. And we'll talk about making uh, a fresh start in this new year. And uh, as, as I was thinking about this series, um, my mind kind of goes in strange directions sometimes. And as I was thinking about this series, I was just thinking about my my wife and her wonderful way with technology. Now, my kids are laughing right now because they know that if there is a technological device, my wife can break it. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't know how many times that she's come to me with her cell phone and here, fix this. And, and it is so locked up that the only way to fix it is to do what's called the hard reset. And if you don't know, on, on an iPhone, you hold both buttons for about 10 seconds and the whole screen goes blank and then the little Apple symbol pops up and there's hope again for the iPhone. But she has a way of being able to, to break electronic devices. Now, and when she goes to Walmart, she refuses to use the self-checkout, not for that reason, but because she says, if I'm going to use the self-checkout, Walmart needs to give me a paycheck on the way out the door. Some of you may agree with that uh, mentality, but we've been nervous. You know, we love Taco Bell here in town. The Taco Bell has one of those self-serve screens. We've been nervous for Beth to use the self-serve screen, uh, thinking that either we're going to end up with 100 tacos that we're going to have to pay for, or the whole place is just going to shut down. There's going to be no tacos for anyone. She, she just has a glorious way of, of with technology, and... And as I was thinking about that and, and the chaos that ensues sometimes with my wife and computers and things of that nature, I was just thinking about the year that we've, we've just walked through. And, and there has been a lot of chaos. There has, has been a, a lot of things, a lot of unknowns, uh, a lot of continuing issues in our country and around the world. Uh, a lot of things that when we came to the 1st of January of last year, we had no idea what God was going to bring about in the world. And we wouldn't have believed it even if he told us. And I think as we come to the beginning of this year with all the continuing chaos, all the continuing racial unrest, the continuing pandemic, the continuing political upheaval, all the things that we're seeing on the national scale and even locally as we think about being in a county that goes in and out of the red zone in, in terms of this pandemic. As we consider these things, I, I think that perhaps for many of us, it's time to consider a hard reset. That we come to the end of a, of a difficult year and everything is very chaotic and, and there's so many unknowns and things just don't seem to be quite working the way that we would hope for them to work. And, and I think time, there's times like these when we need to, to have a hard reset, which means there, there's got to be a pause button that's hit. There, there's got to be a time in which we step back from the chaos and allow everything uh, to go dark, so to speak, for a moment so that when, then that uh, hope can be renewed in us. And, and so as we think about that this morning, again, uh, Matt shared with us our vision statement. And I just want us as a part of a reset 
to remind ourselves during this month of of what it means to be the church. That there's been so much talk in this last year of of the essential nature of the church, whether or not the church is essential, whether what we're doing right here on Sunday morning as we gather together as God's people, whether this is an essential service in in terms of our community and, and, and our country. But, but I want to talk about more than that this morning. I want to talk about more than that during this series. I don't want to just talk about the essential nature of the church. I want to assume that. But I want to talk about what are the essentials for the church? What are the things that, that we, not just that we could do, but what are the things that we, as the redeemed people of God, must do? What are the essentials for us? And let's hit the reset button, so to speak, and get back to some of those basics of being God's people. And so we've defined it this way as a church over the last several years. Just our vision statement. And, I, and I'd just like us to read this out loud together this morning. This is a way of reminding ourselves... What are we doing when we come together as the people of God, as His church? So let's read this together. We exist to glorify God by making disciples who gather together to worship Christ, grow together in the Word of Christ, and go together as witnesses for Christ. See, I think that's our default position. Just like when that iPhone restarts and the Apple symbol comes up and everything kind of goes back to start mode, that's really what I think we're being called to in these days is to remind ourselves not just what can the church do, because we can do all kinds of things, but what must the church do? What has Almighty God given us to do as His people that if we don't do it, no one else is? The Red Cross hasn't been given this mission. Our government hasn't been given this mission. Our homes are called to be a part of this mission, but there are some unique things that God has given to the church, and I want us to be reminded of those. And the best way I could think of to do that is to go to the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. When you come to the book of Acts, you you see that the book of Acts is really the story of the early church and how God caused a a radical thing to take place in the birth and growth and proliferation of the church throughout the world. And that's the story of the book of Acts. But in in the beginning, it starts with Jesus ascending back into heaven. This is post-resurrection. He has died for our sins. He has risen from the dead. He spent 40 days teaching his his disciples how to do how, how to do what he was calling them to do and how to be the church and then jesus right before he ascends back into heaven he leaves them with this mission acts 1 8 he said here's your mission guys your mission is to go to jerusalem and judea and samaria and the ends of the earth and be my witnesses to tell others about me wherever you might go. And actually, that's an outline. Acts 1 an outline for the whole book of Acts. That's exactly what happens. It begins there where they were in Jerusalem. And then they go into Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we're beneficiaries of that. We're beneficiaries of the faithfulness of men and women who took the gospel to the ends of the earth. And as we consider that, then we see... As Jesus ascends back into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down upon those people and they begin 
to be his witnesses, to share with others about the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. And because of that, the church begins to grow. Peter, in the beginning of chapter 2, preaches that first wonderful gospel sermon. And by the end of Peter's preaching on that day of Pentecost, by the end of his preaching, the people are asking, what must we do to be saved? By the way, church, when we hear the gospel, that ought to be what comes to us. The reminder of what it means to be saved, to turn from our sins and to trust in Christ. So Peter preaches, they ask, what must we do to be saved? And he says, I'm glad you asked. Here's what it looks like. And then it says that 3,000 people were baptized and added to their number. That's Acts 2.41. 3,000 people in one day. The church went from a little over 100 people to 3,000 plus overnight. Which may sound glorious, but imagine for a moment what it would be like were God to add 3,000 people to this body of Christ before next Sunday. There would be a gloriousness to it. There would also be a freak out by this guy. What do we do We have just not just multiplied the church. This is super multiplication that's taken place. What do we do with all these people? And Acts 2.42 through 47 answers that question. As it addresses the essentials of the church. What must the church do? And so I want to look at four of these under the heading of our gathering together to worship Christ. As we come together on Sunday mornings this year, God, by His grace, will hopefully give us 52 Sundays, including this one this year, to gather together to worship the name of Jesus Christ. But how are we to worship Him? Again, there's lots of things that we can do when we come together on Sunday morning, but what are the things that we must do? What are the essentials that have to take place on Sunday mornings when we come together in order that Christ be glorified in our gatherings? I want to address four of these out of the text this morning. First of all, we, and we gather together, we must gather together to preach and to teach the word of Christ. There's not going to be anything new in the sermon this morning. I'm not going to break any new ground. We're just going to come back to the to the reset position. When we come together as the people of God, we must preach and teach the word of Christ. And you notice when they came together after 3000 were added to their number. What does it say in verse 42 from the very beginning? They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. Now, the question you need to ask is this. What were the apostles teaching? They were teaching the word of God. If you want to see an example of how they taught the word of God, look to Peter's sermon in the first part of Acts chapter 2. You see a wonderful example of how they took what was to them the Old Testament scriptures. They took those scriptures and they applied them to the life of Christ and to the lives of God's redeemed people we see a beautiful example several times through the book of acts of how they would teach the word of god i want to say to us at the beginning of this year when we come together on sunday mornings you do not need to hear the opinions of this preacher or any other person that stands in this pulpit you need to hear the word of god proclaimed 
It's so important because there are so many pulpits today in which the opinions of the preacher are front and foremost. That's not what you need. My opinions are meaningless in comparison with the Word of God. Now, I have opinions, but that's not what you need when we come to this place on Sunday morning. We must preach and teach the Word of Christ. They were devoted to it. That Literally, that word devoted is, is in, the, in a continual tense. They were continually devoting themselves again and again, day by day, devoting themselves to the Word of Christ. The Word of God was at the very center of their gatherings, and it was the Word of God that defined everything they did when they came together. I pray that's true for us. I pray that when we think about the things that we do as a church, that first and foremost, we we run not to pragmatism, to the things that works, or, or not to our preferences, to the things that we like, that when we consider what we do as a church, that we run again and again to the instructions God has given us. He has not left us without instruction. They devoted themselves to the preaching and teaching of the Word of Christ. Albert Moeller said this verse is paradigmatic for understanding the apostolic church, for understanding what churches should prioritize in our own day. Churches must always remember to evaluate their priorities in light of these words. And I think this is so true. No church can be healthy unless it gathers together to be devoted to the exposition of the word of God. No church can be healthy unless the Word of God is the very center. And when we come together, our desire is to mine the riches of His Holy Word. That must be first and foremost. By the way, if that piece is not in place, none of the rest of what we're going to talk about this morning or in the weeks to come makes any difference. If the Word of God is not at the forefront, if the Word of God is not leading and instructing and guiding in everything that we do, if our desire is not to know Him more through His Word, then nothing else we're going to talk about this morning makes any difference. That's why it says from the very beginning as the church radically multiplied from 100 plus to 3,000 plus and it would continue to grow like crazy in the weeks to come, as they were growing, the, the thing that enabled them to find stability Ability was the Word of God. May that be true for us as well. So what does it mean that we're called to preach and teach the Word of Christ? Well, first of all, the gospel must be proclaimed to the lost. The church, we've been given this goal. Again, Acts 1.8, he says, you not, not that you might be my witnesses or you could be my witnesses, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We've been given this gospel not to keep to ourselves, but to proclaim to others. And the church has been given this task of proclaiming this gospel of salvation to the lost. But not just. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in that task of evangelism that we forget that there is a broader task of which evangelism is a part that we must be consumed with. So the church must not only proclaim the gospel to the lost, but the church must be instructed in sound doctrine. The church must be instructed in sound doctrine. 
So when we come together on Sunday morning, it is not just my goal to proclaim the gospel in such a way that those who do not yet know Christ might be saved. I don't want to come and preach just evangelistic sermons, but we come to the Word of God and we understand that all of us need instruction. All of us need to grow in the Word of Christ. All of us need to be challenged by the Gospel. All of us are called to grow in these things. We need instruction in sound doctrine. Now we're going to talk about next week how what happens in this pulpit ministry is not enough to accomplish the fullness of this growing in sound doctrine. We're going to talk about next week how how there's a bigger picture here of which this is just a part, but it's an important part. It's a it's a start starting place at least and so we see the gospel being proclaimed to the lost we see the church growing in sound doctrine in their understanding of the word of god growing in their faith and so paul said to timothy first timothy four thirteen, he said until i come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to exhortation that's another word for preaching right there and to teaching Devote yourself. Give yourself over continually to these things, Timothy, so that the church will prosper. The church will benefit. So I hope you see this morning how we've been trying to give ourselves over to the reading of Scripture. In fact, one of our new goals that we, we started back in the, in the first of December was we, we want to begin our service with a reading of Scripture. This morning it was Psalm 96. We want to have right at the heart of our service and the reading of Scripture this morning from Acts chapter 2. And we want to close every service this year with a reading of Scripture. Today it's going to be from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We just want to saturate ourselves with the simple reading of the Word of God. To be devoted to it. Why? Because God has said so. Why do we do so many of the things that we do as a church Again, it's not about pragmatism or preferences. It's because God has said so. Because God has commanded us. And so we devote ourselves to these things. Secondly, this morning, not only do we see as an essential the preaching and teaching of the Word of Christ, but we gather together to pray and to stay in wonder of Christ. Again, look back at the text this morning to pray and to stay in the wonder of Christ. Not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread, we're going to cover those two in the, in the weeks to come, but they devoted themselves to the prayers. They were devoted to prayer just as much as they were devoted to the Word of God. And, and those things weren't two separate things. That They were two things that were working in harmony with one another. There, there's a wonderful Christian book called The Twin Pillars of the Christian Life. And it, and it talks about how these two things, the Word of God and prayer, when they come together, it's a powerhouse in the Christian life. It, it radically changes us when these two elements, the Word of God and prayer, become foundational to our walk with the Lord. We see the church devoted to prayer from the very beginning. Acts chapter 1, verse 14 says, And all these who were gathered together in Jesus' name, all these with one accord, they were devoting themselves. They were giving themselves over to prayer. Acts chapter 3, and Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. They were devoting themselves to prayer and God brought about a miraculous work in Acts chapter 3 because of their devotion to prayer. 
Acts chapter 4. When they had prayed, this is right after massive persecution began to break out against the church. When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And the result was that they continued to proclaim the gospel with boldness and many more were saved. And then in Acts chapter 6, the leaders of the church, as problems began to, to arise within the church, the leaders looked at what was happening in their midst and they said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. A devotion to prayer must be at the heart of Christ's church. So what does this look like? Well, at least one aspect of this is that the church must intercede for those in need. We must be praying for those in need. Now, the front burner issues of need in, in our day seem to be those who have contracted COVID, the, those who have been hospitalized, those who have experienced the loss of, of loved ones. But there are many other needs as well that need to be on the map of our praying. As we think about not just physical needs, but as we think even more intently about the spiritual needs of those around us. We should be just as concerned for the fact that people seem to be losing hope in our day. They seem to be misdirected in our day. They seem to be wandering aimlessly in our day. And we have the direction that they need. And so we need to be praying, God, help us to be faithful to your word for the sake of those who are lost and aimless in their lives. Teach us to pray for the lost. That they might come to know Christ and that they might grow in Him and find purpose in their lives. We pray for physical needs. We pray for spiritual needs. We pray for all kinds of needs around us because God has given us this gift of prayer that we might intercede for others. So the question that comes for 2021 is, will we be a church of prayer? So often this begins with us as individuals devoting ourselves to prayer. But I would say it's also necessary for us as a body to devote ourselves to prayer. That these gatherings that we have on Sunday morning would be saturated with prayer. That we would understand that prayer is not just something we do to get on to the next thing. But prayer is that which empowers the people of God for the task He has given us. Another thing along these lines, we think about prayer and staying in wonder of Christ is the church must persevere in what I would call a zealous awe. Look at verse 43. It says, and because of their devotion to these simple things, an awe came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. All this this sense of wonderment, this sense of understanding that what we are doing is being done in the presence of the holy creator of the universe. So when we come together on Sunday morning, it's not just a gathering of people from various parts of this area. We are coming together as the redeemed people of God and stepping into, in a special way, the very presence of God. Not because of the holiness of this building. It has nothing to do with this building. 
It's because of the holiness of God's people. Redeemed by the blood of His Son. And when we come together, there is something unique and special that happens. That's why this is essential. Because the power of God is manifest in His church. We need never forget those things. And we need to persevere. And in these difficult days, we must persevere in that kind of zealous awe. That we might make every, uh, every effort in our lives to maintain a passion for the things of God. That's why I would encourage you this year, if you have fallen back on your reading of the Scriptures, get back into reading the Scriptures this year, that you might be stirred with a zealous awe for God, a passion for His name. If you've fallen back in prayer, in your prayer life, I want to encourage you, being reinvigorated that year, that you might be stirred up in zealous awe and passion for the name of Christ. If you've fallen back in your witnessing, I want to encourage you to fall on your knees before God and ask Him, God, would you stir in me a passion for the lost, that I might see others come to Christ this year, but also that my heart would not grow cold. There are so many encouragements in the New Testament for us not to grow weary in doing good, for us to remain steadfast, to be alert. To be filled with a sense of the gravity of this gospel task that God has given to us. We must persevere in these things. Colossians 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. By the way, this is the theme verse for our monthly prayer gatherings, which we'll have tonight. If you're looking for a place to devote yourself to prayer, 5 o'clock tonight in the youth center, we're going to devote an hour to prayer and being encouraged in God's Word, praying for our community, praying for the work of our church, praying for the lost. I hope you'll be a part of that tonight at 5. Number three, when we gather together, we must give ourselves to both giving and gaining the wealth of Christ. That, that may sound like a strange way uh, and to talk about what I'm getting ready to talk about, but I think in the context of this passage, we notice something uh, about the New Testament church here, and that's that they were a people that were fueled by generous giving. They were a people who were seeing that the things that they had been given were a stewardship. They were recognizing that they had, in, in a true gospel understanding, they understood they had ownership over nothing. They simply were given a stewardship over things that they could then use to glorify God and to do good to others. That mentality just changes everything in your life. If you begin to see your home not as a possession, but as a tool for ministry, it changes everything. If you begin to see your paycheck not just as what you're owed because of your work, but as an opportunity to bless others, it begins to change everything. When you begin to see your vehicle and any other thing that you own as simply a matter of stewardship, a gift of God. You say, well, I worked for that truck. But who gave you the ability to do that work? 
Who gave you the life and the breath that you might be able to accomplish that work, to get that paycheck, to buy that truck? It's all a gift of God. James reminds us that every good and perfect gift is given to us from God Himself. And every one of those good gifts is an opportunity to serve the Lord. But you notice in these verses, there's both a giving and a receiving. They were giving generously, but they were also receiving greatly. As we consider these things and, and, and what this looks like in the body of Christ to be a, a people fueled by generosity, by giving and, and by gaining the wealth of Christ. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He wrote a book called Life Together. It's a simple little book, but he has so many powerful quotes in it. And he said this. He said, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. It's a gift. That's what he's saying there by grace. Understand this right here. What we're, what we're experiencing this morning is a gift of God. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. I saw an article just last week that was talking about the, the mental state of folks at the end of 2020 and moving into the new year. And they were assessing kind of the, the mental state of people in our nation. And one of the things that this study found was that those who attended church regularly had a significantly better outlook on life and hope for the future than those who did not. Now, I'm not saying come to church so you can have a better outlook on life. This is not about living your best life now and all that garbage. But I'm saying the byproduct of being a part of the body of Christ is encouragement. That's why Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the gathering yourselves together with other believers, but come together so that you might encourage one another. Because we need encouragement in a sin-broken world. We need to be spurred on in the things of God. We need to be held accountable. And those things only occur when we come together. That's by God's design. And it's a gift of God as well. So what does it look like to give and gain the wealth of Christ? Well, first of all, not only that we talked about a moment ago, the church must pray for those in need, but we also must put our hands to the task of providing for those in need. And that takes place in, in so many different ways through the life of the church. Do you realize that, that every time you give to our church, you help to provide for physical needs in our community? Many don't ever see this part of the church's work of, of serving in, in benevolence ministry and helping folks with electric bills and, and rental payments and various things. That's, that's part of what happens through the life of this church that often goes unseen, and yet it's part of what God has given us to do. And it requires great wisdom and, 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 and sometimes very difficult decisions that need to be net made, but it's part of what God has given us. But it's not just outside the church. It's also providing for needs right here in our own congregation. And I know how we get sometimes. We get so prideful that when we get in a hard spot, when we get in a pickle, so to speak, the last place that we often go 
is to our church. And I've heard from our own church members when I ask, well, why didn't you let us know that you had this particular need? And the first response is always this, well, I didn't want to be a burden. But here's the issue. The issue is when you say, I don't want to be a burden, what's really happening is you refuse to allow someone else to bless you. You are actually stealing a blessing from others when you refuse to reveal your need, when you act as though you've got everything together. There's a vulnerability that's needed in the church today that we would recognize that we don't have it all together. And that we are going to find ourselves in times of need. And I pray that in the coming years, the church would not be the last resort that the people of God would go to when they're in a tough spot. But the church would be the first place we would run to as an opportunity, not just to to unload our burdens, but to truly be a blessing to others. And I want to encourage us in that. Because the, the early church was about providing for those in need. And by the way, as you move deeper into the book of Acts, you begin to recognize that it was their very provision for the needy among them that became an evangelistic on-ramp that others were seeing. Man, look how they're providing for the widows who in those days, the widows were the lowliest and the poorest of that culture. Look how they're providing for the widows. Look how they're taking in these orphans. Look how they're welcoming in the lowliest, the poorest, the weakest in society. And they're not stratified where all the wealthy people are sitting in the best seats and all the poor people are sitting in the back row. They are saying, look at what's happening here. There's a community of faith. There's a commonality that's happening. There's a true fellowship and a growth in the Lord. And it was all tied into their giving. We're going to talk more about that. In the coming weeks. Secondly. Again just a reminder. As we think about giving. And gaining the wealth of Christ. The church must overflow. With joyful generosity. And so as we think about. Giving to the Lord. Which is a part of what we do. And we don't pass the offering plates anymore. We have these white boxes. At the at the doors. That you, you can give as the Lord. Uh, would lead you to do. But I want you to think about giving this morning. And understand this very clearly. You do not give. Because God needs your money. He doesn't need anything from us. You don't give because God needs it. You give because you need it. You give because giving has a way of disconnecting our hearts from our material possessions. You give because giving has a way of connecting our hearts to those who are in need. You give because in giving it begins to change our hearts to be more like God. We remind ourselves that even Jesus came not to get, but to give, not to be served, but to serve. And so we give as an act of worship. Titus 3, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful, to devote ourselves to that type 
of gospel giving. And finally this morning, when we gather together, we preach and teach the word of Christ. We want to pray and stay in wonder of Christ. We want to give and gain the wealth of Christ. And then finally this morning, we want to sing and to savor the worth of Christ. And, and I just want to say a hearty amen to what Grant shared with us earlier. There is something unusual about our singing, and it should be so. It should be unique. And I know in 2020, one of the big questions that was being asked was, well, can the church come together and not sing? Because perhaps singing is a way of spreading this virus. Can the church just come together and not sing? And my heart's response to that is simply this. No. Because God has commanded us to sing. Old and New Testament, all over the Scriptures, God has given us this gift of singing as a primary means, not the only means, but a primary means by which we glorify Him. And so it's not just that we can sing or that we should sing, it's that we must sing because we've been commanded to sing. It's really that simple. But as we sing, we need to understand what's happening. As we sing, we need to understand that the church is echoing the songs of heaven. So yes, we need to sing songs that are simple, that everyone can sing. But we also need to sing songs that are saturated with Scripture. Again, we don't want to sing based on pragmatism, just what works, or based on preferences, uh, just what feels good or seems good to us, or songs that we like. We want to sing according to what God has given us in His Word. And so as Grant and I choose new songs this year, pray for us that we would seek songs that would rightfully identify the God of this Word, that would rightfully be aligned with what He has said about himself and as we echo the songs of heaven we need to know what those songs are all about revelation 4 11 is a great example what did they sing what are they singing in heaven they're singing worthy are you our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created there's songs that are singing about a holy God, the creator of all things, who has redeemed us by the blood of His Son. They're gospel-centered songs. They're not just songs that pluck our heartstrings, though that is a portion of it. They're songs that stir us down to the depths of our soul because the God who created our souls has told us about Himself. And now we're reflecting, we're echoing, we're singing back to Him songs about Himself. Not only that, but in our singing, the church must herald the Savior's excellence. We need to be singing about Jesus. We need to be singing songs that sound like the songs of heaven. Again, another song from heaven in Revelation 5.12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Our songs need to be saturated with thoughts about our Savior. 
Our songs need to be saturated with gospel truth. Our songs need to stir our souls and stir our hearts, but also stir our hands and our wills toward carrying out the work that God has given us to do. As we do so, we savor the worth of Christ. We rejoice in it. And so church, I just want to encourage us as we're entering into this new year together. What will it look like for you? What would it look like for you to hit the reset button at the beginning of 2021? I've tried to set before you, and what we're going to do again over the next few weeks is to set before you just some simple basics of our faith. Nothing groundbreaking. We're not going to go into any new territory in the coming weeks, but just to simply remind us Who are we as the people of God and what must we then do? And so I would ask you simply this morning, are you devoted to the word of Christ? What place does the word of Almighty God have in your life, not just on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, but day to day? Notice the daily nature of so much that was in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Are you devoted to the word of Christ? Number two, are you devoted to prayer? Is prayer your last resort? Or is prayer where your heart has found its true home in communion with your creator and your redeemer? Number three, are you devoted to giving? Are you devoted to giving sacrificially so that your heart might be disconnected from the material possessions of this world and be connected to the God who gave all of them to you and to the needs of those around you? Are devoted to giving? And then finally, are you devoted to singing and to savoring the worth of Christ this year? My greatest prayer for us as a church in 2021 is that when we come to the beginning of 2022, if Jesus lingers that long, if when we come to the beginning of 2022, that we could say, I love him more today than I did a year ago. I know him so much more today than I did a year ago. I'm so much more devoted to him now than I was a year ago. And yet it is so easy for us to fall back in the chaos of this world, to fall back into a position where we are neglecting the things of God and perhaps today hitting the reset button would mean for you a renewed hope and peace and joy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your church. Lord, we so often underestimate the power and the glory of what you've given us in the body of Christ, in the redeemed people of God. 
and those called out of the darkness of their sin and into your marvelous light. Lord, remind us this morning that there is nothing in us that is worthy of this great calling. It is only by your grace and for your glory that you have redeemed us and rescued us and brought us to yourself. And Father, I pray this morning that we would consider what it would look like for there to be true and spiritual renewal in our lives, for us to hit that reset button, to be renewed in a love for your word, in a devotion to prayer, in a giving to others, in a, in a singing, in a savoring the worth of our Savior. Lord, reset us today. Revive us today. Bring us to repentance today. And renew our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name.